0: Hello lovely people, Lucy here from Luna Silverstein. Today's topic is one that I didn't think I would ever want to talk about publicly. It's quite difficult in some ways, because as some of you may know if you've read some of my bio on the blog or heard other topics I've talked about. I am a victim of child sexual abuse, or I should say survivor, I prefer the term survivor actually. There's a lot of stigma somehow around sharing my story because I know after I went to court I had some really bad experiences with the media. I had a newspaper report my entire medical history pretty much within their newspaper and said that that was supposedly allowed because i talked about it in my victim impact statement in court. And I also had quite a sleazy True Life magazine contact the police detective who managed the case, asking for me to share my story along with pictures of my face to give up my anonymity and let them publish all the gory details, basically and they felt that that was okay because they were offering me thousand pounds and I just I felt really disgusted I felt that they wanted to use survivors to earn money to either in one way glamorize and dramatize abuse and in another way for people to get sadistic enjoyment out of listening to all the details of what happened. I know when I wrote the blog I made an effort to be careful in what I included because I wanted it to be more about how there is hope after sexual abuse rather than focusing on every little detail of what happened I have talked about the damage that it caused but I don't want that to be the primary focus of my life or of my story I think it's really important to talk about the things that have helped me and the things that I've learned along the way and anything that I can tell people out there who may be in the same situation or may even be contemplating speaking to the police but at the same time I perfectly appreciate a lot of people don't want to come forward and are just looking to move on with their lives so whatever is right for you I just want to stress this whatever is right for you that is okay I wasn't ready to go to the police for quite a while I respect anybody no matter what choices they make because the most important person in all of this is you so if you're trying to recover from some abuse you've suffered It's really important to put your health and sanity first. You don't owe anybody anything. You owe it to yourself to do what you can to try and help yourself to be happy and well. If you're not able to do that, if you're not able to feel happy and well, I respect you for being here, for listening to this and for keeping going because the fact that you're still here today means something, means there's an inner strength inside of you. So I'm just wishing everybody well, especially all the other survivors out there. As I mentioned in the blog, I grew up in a small town in the UK in the middle of nowhere. My parents were teenagers when I was born and my parents divorced when I was 9 or 10. There was a brief period where my mother dated somebody else and then she met Tom. I'm using the name Tom to protect my own anonymity and also because I don't know where I stand legally. I just feel safer using a different name. For the purposes of the blog, I've called him Tom. So we moved in with Tom, not long after my mother started dating him. At first, I thought he was just like a new dad. I was so excited to have a father that cared about me, or seemed to care about me, who was interested in my life and supposedly wanted to help me. He used to make out that he wanted to help me through my difficult times. So I warmed to him at first, but then things got a bit weird As an adult now I recognise it as grooming. The grooming started after not a very long time of living with him. There was an alarm bell going off inside me but because I was so young I didn't understand that that alarm bell should be listened to. I must admit that that same alarm bell has gone off in my adult life. I was in an abusive relationship as an adult. Again it was the same alarm bell that I ignored. So anybody out there, man or woman or any gender if you've got that alarm bell please listen to it it's in there to keep you safe that's your intuition i do know that sexual abuse and assault happens to people of all genders so i'm not just aiming this at cisgendered women i'm speaking to men too and trans men and women and intersex anybody anybody who has a body is in a position where this could happen to them so the sexual abuse went on for three or four years it got gradually worse and more frequent my abuser was a drunk who would sneak into my room at night i told my mother at 14 she did absolutely nothing A lock was put on my bedroom door. He started abusing another innocent child. I remember I kept bringing it up to my mother because I wanted something to be done. I had an inkling that someone else was being hurt. I was basically told that that I had no right to say anything, that I shouldn't say anything. There were other family members involved and it was covered up. And that was a massive deal. It was a huge deal because that meant that I was not able to trust my judgment again. I was made to believe that that thing inside me that said something needs to be done was wrong and that I was selfish for having that. And it's taken a lot of hard work, a lot of self-work, counselling, lots of other forms of recovery to get to a position where I now realise that my feelings and my opinions matter. But at the time I was encouraged not to say a word and was threatened with various threats of social services, which turned out to be untrue. But yeah, it was once I found out for definite that Tom had abused another child that I went to the police. And it was quite a long time, it was three years of my life between going to the police and Tom going to prison for a very long time. I think I might do a blog and another podcast about the experience of going to court because I know that when I was going through this I couldn't really find very good sources to explain to me what might happen from actual survivors. When I'm feeling brave enough I uh, I might write a blog about that and make a podcast because if there's any other person out there who's going through that if I can help in any way by providing information or just relaying my story so you don't feel alone then I would like to do that and eventually yes when he, he did plead guilty I gave evidence and thankfully only I had to give evidence because he pleaded guilty after I did. So we got a good result and it was worth it in the end. But the consequences of that was that I developed anorexia at a young age and I would self-harm. I won't go into detail about the self-harm because I don't want to trigger anybody. I would damage the top of my legs so nobody could see. I was compulsive with it. I was addicted to doing it as a way of coping and i spent my days and nights planning my own suicide i used to research all sorts of awful things because i felt totally alone and frightened and overwhelmed and i had suicidal feelings for years and years many years and i didn't think i would be able to go a day without having those thoughts because it became so much part of my experience that i just expected that to be the way until my life was over and as i said in the blog, I wasn't living, I was existing, and there is a massive difference. And also, as time progressed, I'd always been a tired person. I used to get tired very easily, and I noticed that this tiredness just got worse and i get ill a lot i remember my father saying to me that i was always ill he'd never known someone be as ill as me and i think in some ways he was frustrated maybe he thought i was putting it on but as time progressed i lost the ability to walk completely i started to starve i was in pain all the time I had no idea what was wrong with me. It was really frightening. I thought I was going to die. And then eventually I found out that it was ME chronic fatigue. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, because I'd not learnt boundaries and because I'd grown up not being respected and my privacy and my body not being respected, I ended up in an abusive relationship with a man who again said he was being supportive of me. He said he cared. He said he loved me. And I didn't understand. Yeah, it was a really tough time. But again, as I said in the blog, there was this weird little light inside that kept me alive. And I used to resent the hell out of it. I'd say to this light inside, just leave me alone. I want to die. I've had enough. I don't want any more of this. It felt almost sadistic. This thing that was keeping me alive, it felt like a sadistic evil thing that wouldn't let me just put myself out of my misery. Whenever I went to do something quite drastic regarding taking my life, this little flicker inside would say it's not time, not yet. And actually now I'm so grateful for it. Now my life is different. I'm so, so glad that that thing kept me alive because there were so many times I thought to myself, I can't take this, I want to end things. And without that, I wouldn't be here. So yeah, if you're currently in this position where... You are a survivor and you are experiencing all this hopelessness, all this pain and there is something inside you telling you to hold on, please listen because in a year, two years, whenever, you might eventually be so grateful for that. I know that probably would be annoying to hear when you're in that situation but take it from someone who's been there, it is worth keeping on, really is and things can change. So, I picked out five tools that helped my recovery. Before I talk about that, I just want to clarify that I now live my life not wanting to die. I can see joy in the world. I have boundaries, I can say no. I have really good friends. I can connect with nature. My life's worth living and I don't want to die. If you'd have told me five years ago that that was the case, I wouldn't have believed you. So it, it is possible. And I used to get really mad when I read or heard things about, oh, don't do this, keep going, don't take your own life. I used to think, what the hell do they know? How do they know that? It's nonsense. No one's ever suffered the way I'm suffering. I just thought that no one had ever suffered in the same way. And I used to feel selfish for being what I called self-indulgent because I knew there were people out there who were suffering more. But at the same time, I felt like no one got it. No one got me. No one got my pain. And now I have empathy for that person because I don't feel like that person anymore. There's so much I have overcome. Yeah, the first one that I found helpful was talking. So it was through talking to friends and therapists that I realised that the abuse wasn't my fault. I always thought it was my fault and I always thought my feelings regarding the abuse were wrong because I'd been made to feel like that. And it's with all this talking and the professional help as well that I can see it from an adult perspective. And I know for definite it's not my fault. I was a 10 or 11 year old child. Really wasn't my fault. And I also managed to talk through what actually happened which I didn't think I'd want to do that but it brought me so much clarity and I found that through speaking to other survivors as well I instantly had empathy and care towards them and I realised well if they deserve empathy and care I should be able to give that to myself which has been difficult I'm not going to lie but yeah it has really helped and then reading about recovery I was lent a book called Life Reinvented, A Guide to Healing from Sexual Trauma for Survivors and Loved Ones by Erin Carter. And again, I just, I'm just i not much of a reader, so it takes a lot for a book to affect me deeply. But this one did. It was written by a therapist, but at the same time it was very easy to understand. It wasn't full of jargon. And again, it was the clarity that really helped. I felt like things were clicking into place as I read it. Another thing that I've learnt along the way is that most of my depression and suffering came from confusion and then the frustration of being confused. So as I learnt to understand what had happened and learnt to understand the context around why it happened and where my place in that was and the fact that it wasn't my fault, removed a heck of a lot of the confusion and then subsequently the frustration as well. And I find that, Clarity is the best thing ever for depression, because if I have an answer to a question, I'm not running it round over and over in my head, unable to find an answer. So I was hugely grateful to this book for helping me to understand a lot of things. The third thing was hypnotherapy. Confession, I thought hypnotherapy was a load of crap. (laughs) And then I had a friend who was a master hypnotherapist who helped me for free when I was at my darkest ebb. Yeah, it saved my life. I must admit, it saved my life. He helped to change the voice in my head that was telling me I was disgusting, that I deserved to die. All the worst things, he managed to change that record and he also taught me how to meditate, which then led me to Buddhism, so I was extremely grateful for that. The other thing that he did was it greatly reduced my PTSD. I'm not sure whether all hypnotherapists would do this and I'm not recommending just trying to do something like this. He's a highly trained professional who's been doing it for decades. But after over 100 hours of hypnotherapy talking, he led me through reliving my abuse. And I've heard from a lot of professionals that this is unprofessional, it's wrong. But I wasn't upset because I was in hypnotic trance and I relived everything that happened. And I was able to see it for what it was. I was able to almost be with the child that it was happening to. And understand everything that happened. A bit like I've already said, it brought me a lot of clarity. And through the clarity it got rid of a lot of pain. Because I wasn't trying to answer questions that were unanswerable. I had answers. It, It was just wonderful. I can't speak highly enough for hypnotherapy. Then the fourth thing which follows on was Buddhism and meditation. So yeah, my hypnotherapist friend taught me to meditate. I then attended an eight-week mindfulness class. At uni, it was a free class. They then told me about a Buddhist meditation centre in the UK called Tara Loka, which is just the best place in the world. I loved it. I went on a retreat there for a week. Now I am a Buddhist. Uh, I've been a Buddhist for years. I'm a Buddhist that doesn't meditate enough. I cannot tell you how much meditation helps. It can rewire the brain. So there's been studies on traumatised brains with PTSD. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that the brain is very plastic. There's a thing called neuroplasticity where the brain can rewire. And meditation helps with that. It can be difficult at times and it is a skill that needs to be learnt with practice. But I also learnt how to use mindfulness techniques to stop a panic attack. I remember walking down the road and I was having a panic attack. And a little voice in my head said, feel the sensation of your keys in your hand. And in focusing on the keys and distracting my brain from the panic and worrying about not being able to breathe, I was able to feel the texture and the shape and how cool my keys were in my hand. And it stopped the panic attack. So... Yeah, there's a lot to be said for mindfulness. And then finally, something that I really struggled to write actually because it felt very cheesy. The final thing was love. Unconditional love. There's a lot to be said for it. And mine has particularly come from my friends. And also certain partners. I learnt through them that I was worthy of love. And I know all the books say you have to learn to love yourself. But it's really bloody difficult if no one's loved you properly before. (laughs) I think growing up, my grandparents really helped me a lot. I loved my grandparents and they kept me sane and they loved me. And then as I moved on into adult life, I made my own family through really good friends. And through them loving me, I learned to heal as well and I learned to love myself. And this self-love gave me the motivation to try and look after my body, heart and mind more than I ever have. And especially now I live with chronic fatigue, ME. I have to learn to love myself because if I don't I'll push myself to the point of oblivion and flare up. And also treating myself with compassion. I try and treat myself how I treat a friend. Um, I don't always succeed to be honest but it's a good thing to say to myself. And also through that I learned to say no because I do this thing where I say to myself would I expect someone else to tolerate this behaviour of me? <laughs> So if someone's being unreasonable or unkind, I say to myself, would I expect someone to tolerate this of me? And if the answer is no, I put a boundary in. Or most of the time I put a boundary in. So yeah, the journey hasn't been easy. (laughs) I'd be a massive liar if I said it's been all rainbows and unicorns. But compared to where I was and where I am now, I would not have believed you if you'd have told me. Things do get easier. And I can't recommend highly enough talking to people. Talking to people who really listen though. People who really respect you and listen. I just want to say to all those people out there who are survivors, who are really struggling. It is possible to go from being suicidally depressed, self-harming, anorexic, off the rails. To a place where you can feel love and joy and connection. And to care about yourself and even put yourself first sometimes. And it does take work and it does take effort, but you are deserving of that effort. It's what's happened to you that makes you think otherwise. And anything you've been told by an abuser is just crap. <laughs> you wouldn't let anybody else believe that about themselves. Any child that's been hurt, or even if you've been abused as an adult, if it was anybody else but yourself. You would have so much empathy and compassion, and you wouldn't believe all the nonsense that's been told by the abuser to that person. Yeah, I really hope that if you are in that position, that eventually you're able to see through that and see that you are wonderful, you are worthy of love, you do deserve to be happy and safe, and more than anything, I wish that for you. At the bottom of the blog, I've included some phone lines. If people want to talk, I've not included all countries because I would be there forever and I'm sure people can Google. If you're not ready to speak to a therapist or if you're not ready to speak to the police, there's a lot of confidential lines that you can call and you deserve to be heard. Thank you for listening to my story and if there's anybody out there who is suffering again, my heart is with you, my thoughts are with you. I'm wishing you well genuinely wishing you well thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on instagram and facebook and visit our website lunasilverstein.com